When I was a uh, student at Dallas, I had the great privilege of having quite a bit of fun. I had already gone to a Bible school, and so I knew the Bible really well. I started preaching when I was 15 years old, and pastor when I was 17, I got to Dallas. A lot of things that those guys were doing I didn't need because I'd already been in ministry, and I would minored in Greek in college, and I had uh, already done so much work, and so I, I didn't have to really do a lot. I could clep out of classes and do different kinds of things, and so I had the great privilege of being able to kind of do a lot of things. Sat in on J. Dwight Pentecost classes, sat in on Walvers classes. I sat in on uh, Ryder when he came in as a guest because he had he was not teaching at that time. And I was very interested in eschatology because my background and what they taught at Dallas was not the same, and so I wanted to be fair since I was exploring. And so I began to keep a journal and make a lot of questions, question, 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 why, 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 why. And in one of my journals, I wrote, I do not understand how godly men, wise men, can be so distant on an issue that is supposedly at the very heart of our faith, the return of our Lord. And so I began to investigate, and I decided that I was not going to go looking for booger bears. I was actually going to go for looking for commonality. What's common? What do, what do they believe together? Because Dr. Walbert, whom I spent a lot of time in Dr. Rose's presence, I was on the student council, uh, did a lot of things. Godly man, bar none. Most people walked around Dallas totally afraid of the man, just faculty included. I mean, he was, he was the man. He really was. But he was a very gracious man, and he was very, a very humble man, to be quite candid. One whom I enjoyed. I just actually kind of enjoyed the man for who he was as a person. I subsequently met Dr. Moo and was just thoroughly impressed with him, as a, just as a teacher of God's Word, as a scholar. As a scholar. I mean, he really is a scholar. And I began to ask myself, now, how can these two men who are so wise and years and numbers be different. What's, what's, what's keeping these people from coming to a census, a consensus? So then I decided, you know what, I need to go find out why, what's the sticking point? What, what's the thing that keeps them from coming together? Because they're studying the same passages, the same books. They got the same books of the Bible, the same Bible, the same translation. They got the same notes, the same Greek grammar, the same lexicon. Now, how can you have all the same everything? Come to a different conclusion. Now, there's got to be a reason why. So the first thing I wanted was an exegetical defense of each position. Not presuppositional defense. Not what the tradition is. I wanted an exegetical presentation. I wanted to be able to go find some writing. Just like if I wanted to know what Luther believed, I can find a Luther exegetical presentation. I want to know what John Calvin, I can go read Calvin's writing and he will give you the history. What, this is where I'm coming from. And I, I want to go pre-trib. I want an exegetical, biblical defense. Not... 
There wasn't one. There isn't one. Now, there, there's defense of the position now. Don't get me wrong. There are lots of books written on the position. But an exegetical presentation starts with a passage without any preconception. And it just tells you, okay, based on the Greek, either the grammar, the theology, the history, the context, this is how this passage works down. Now, there were commentaries, because two saints wrote commentaries on Matthew, in which I guess you could say his Matthew 24 is an exegetical presentation. Um, but I could read, you know, great men who would give me points. They would show points, and then they would show me why. But in terms of exegesis, an exegetical presentation takes the naked Greek or Hebrew text and just line by line deduces and shows you that this is what this Greek means. It can have these three possible meanings. This is why it can't mean blah, 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 and this is why... Now, John Walbert, of course, had written a commentary on Daniel, which I had, had him sign it. But I didn't find a clear, unambiguous articulation from an exegetical standpoint. Now, when I read the the Irish Study Bible, you know, the Bible of Bibles, of course, I still didn't get a good exegesis, exegesis until I got to a guy, Feinberg. Now, Feinberg, I started reading Feinberg, and I started saying, I, I like this guy because he which, which, is an exegesis man. Which Feinberg? Which which, I'll tell you, man. And I said, now, this is interesting because you get them Feinberg boys, and you start discovering that there are different boys doing different kinds of things. So I said, okay. So I have Moo now. It's a credible exegetical argument. And I have a Feinberg and uh, couldn't really work as well as I wanted with the mid-tribber. I did, had a little trouble digging up anything that was really credible there, but uh, I did find some stuff, but not n- nothing like what I wanted. And so then I sat down and said, now, wait a minute, what is, if I had to take this rapture question spread over these seven years, everybody believes the rapture is going to occur in relationship to this period somehow, either at the end, in the middle, at the beginning, what do we have in common? So I said, okay, um, Church agrees rapture, church will be raptured. Among rapturists, we believe church is going to be raptured. Uh, we also believe church will be spared the wrath of God. Good. We got it down. Perfect. Okay. And then I went to that and I said, okay, now let me see what the pre-trip position actually looked like. They said, well, the rapture is going to occur. We don't know. It's going to imminent and happen at any moment, uh, but we don't know when. And as soon as it happens, then the seventh week is going to start. Now, among rapturists. You know, from Fruchtenbaum, you can get, maybe it could be, I mean, the rapture can happen today and the seven weeks start tomorrow, or it may be a time between that. But anyway, the rapture has to occur, and then the seven weeks is going to occur after it. How long after it kind of depends on who you read it. How long? And then everything after the rapture is the wrath of God. Once the seven weeks start, it's the wrath of God. Okay? That's the pre-trip position. And wrath of God will culminate with Armageddon. 
all living wicked people will be put off the earth. Some save Gentiles, save Israel, goes into the millennial kingdom of a thousand years, blah, blah, blah. Okay? That's the basic pre-trip position. Now, in my system of faith, I have one law, and there is there can be no contradiction. Because once you have a contradiction, you've got a problem. And I believe in heart of heart that the pre-trib system has a contradiction. And the contradiction is that they say that the reason church has to be finished, completed, and gone before that seventh week started because it's a Jewish week. And God is not going to work to return, return, quote-unquote, to the Jewish dispensation until he has finished the church dispensation. Well, last night you heard someone say that it is possible to have God working in both in a transition period. You have to say that because we know God worked with the Jews during the church age at least two times. So that didn't stick, but we still haven't abandoned this idea that the seventh week is a Jewish week. Therefore, since it's Jewish, it can, the church can have no part of it. Actually, the seventh week is not a Jewish week. The seventh week is a Gentile week. It's the completion of the age of the Gentiles' domination over Israel, of which was what the seventh week is a part of 69. From Babylon, Medes and Persians, Greeks, and Romans all ruled over Israel. It had the dominance by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled, Luke says. And the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled at the end of the seventh week. Seventh week is not a Jewish week. Jews involved. But it's a Gentile week of domination over Israel, which will be broken at the end of the seventh week. And Gentiles will never, ever again be in dominance over Jerusalem, over the Jews, God's people. But that's completed at the end of the seventh week. It's Gentile, not Jewish. It's meaning that God can only work with Jews. God was working with Gentiles all during the Old Testament. That's a contradiction. It is not true. It simply is not true. Acts chapter 2 doesn't say this is like that. You won't find that in any translation. None. Not a one. This is that. Total estin. This, nominative neuter, is estin. This is that. This is exactly what the Greek says. It doesn't say this is like that. A pashard does not say this is like this is. So, I said I, I can understand the pre-trip position. What I can't understand is the problem. The mid-trip position was another problem because they said, hey, he's coming at the middle. The rapture is going to happen at the middle of the seventh week and after that is the wrath of God. Okay, that's eh, pretty straightforward. Uh, don't have any basis for that, but that's what they say. So I felt like, well, that's, mm, I don't know. Can't really go with that. Then I went to the post-trip view, and the post-trip would say, well, the wrath of God is going to start sometime after the midpoint. It's going to get progressively worse, 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 worse. Then you're going to have the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh bowl all come together at the same point, and then Christ is going to come church is going to be gathered up in the air. It's going to come right back down to the earth. Then you're going to have a sheep and go judgment. And then we're going to go into a millennial kingdom or at least the eternal kingdom. 
contradiction with that is if you if you take all the sheep up in the air, what's left on the earth? Well, goats. Then you're going to bring the sheep back down to the earth, mix them back up with the goats, and then divide them at the sheep and goat judgment. Why take them up in the air at all? That makes no sense. And all the people who get taken up in the air are glorified bodies, changing the twinkling of an eye, it says. Well, if that's the case, then there's no one in the millennium to have babies. And Isaiah 65, you're going to have some babies. Or you can spiritualize that, and it doesn't mean what it says. Now, Dr. Moo, whom I have great integrity, told me, he said, now listen, we don't have an answer for that one. And he's honest. Because if all the sheep go up in the air and the goats are left on the earth and you're glorified in the twinkling of an eye, that means that sheep no longer are going to have babies, which means the millennial kingdom cannot be a reproducing era, which Isaiah 65 in the Old Testament is adamantly clear that it is. So to me, that is a contradiction of which even a post-tribber has told me it is a contradiction which they cannot answer. I believe the mid-trib is a contradiction because it says no man knows the day or the hour. I believe that is referring to the rapture in Matthew 24, 36. Therefore, you can't say it's going to happen at the midpoint. That would be easy. So... I knew that there was a contradiction, but I also knew there was lots of truth. And so I went on a hunt for truth. Paul Feinberg I think he's pre-trib. I think Paul Feinberg is a man who really loves God and loves God's word. Think he has, I don't think he's out to set any. I, I think he's he's honest. He's legitimate. He's a good man. Was he was a good man? Will be a good man. I hope in heaven. I have a lot of respect for him and and the family. Long history of serving the Lord. Serve the Lord. But I I, I had to say, okay, now wait. If the system has a contradiction, then we've got to answer the contradiction or we've got to say the system is not right. And I agree with that. Which is why I, against all common sense, decided to change my position knowing the consequences. I knew exactly what that would mean for me. Because, see, I was a rising evangelical star. As an African-American conservative, I was even more valuable. And so I knew that once I did that, I would be persona non grata. I was, no, I was not stupid. So I decided, okay, now wait a minute. You got good men, Dr. Walver, Dr. Moo but they don't hold the same position. Is it possible to do a synthesis of the two? Is it possible to do a synthetic view? Try to find the views, the things about each position that's true, and put them together and see what you come up with, which is exactly what the position is. Dr. Warren said the fact is that neither post-tribulationism nor pre-tribulationism is an explicit teaching of the scripture. The Bible does not, in so many words, state either. It is therefore not too much to say that the rapture question is determined more by ecclesiology than eschatology. He was right. 
It is their ecclesiology demands pre-tribulationalism because they believe the church can only be protected by such a doctrine. I don't. Israel is Israel. Israel is Israel. It's going to be God's people. Church is the church. The church is not Israel. And it, I don't have to come up with some system concoct to make that true. It is true. It is going to be true. And God is going to deliver both. I don't need to try to protect one to protect the other. Now, the pre-wrath position is basically this. It took the fact that the rapture is going to be imminent, and it is. Only in the context of the 70th week after the midpoint is it imminent, not before. That's why the early church was imminent intra-tribulationalism. That's why they believed that, because they understood the text. They also understood that the great tribulation is not the wrath of God, but it's the wrath of Satan through his emissary, Antichrist. It's his wrath. God gives him this three-and-a-half-year period to do it and to do it in a wild and rageous way. But God, in his great grace, decided that he was going to cut that short. And at the end, he's going to pour out his wrath. Now, I don't understand why God is going to give Antichrist three-and-a-half years of wrath on earth. He's going to work in one day. Seemed like it'd be fair to give before God to kind of have at least two or three days. You gave Antichrist three years. You know, God ought at least have two days. Doesn't need it. He can do it in one hour, one second. But I know the fifth trumpet is at least five months, so I know the wrath of God is longer than one day. So the pre-wrath position is totally hinges on the fact of what is. The day of the Lord. It's all the day of the Lord. It all hinges on the day of the Lord. Without the day of the Lord, you won't understand. It won't make sense. It won't be true. It won't be real. The day of the Lord is the outpouring of the wrath of God. If you want to really get it, uh, you're going to have to figure out what is the day of the Lord. I believe the rapture will occur somewhere after the midpoint. I don't know why. A guy by the name of Paul Colleen wrote a little book in criticism of the pre-wrath position right after Marv Rosenthal wrote his book. And in that book, he accused Marv of teaching a three-quarter rapture risen. Most pre-tribulationalists wouldn't read Marv's book but they would use Colleen's criticism of Marv and they repeated it and so it has become the mantra that pre-wrath believes in a three-quarter rapture. That is a lie. It was never true. It was never taught. We put the arrow on the chart. You have to put it somewhere. But the placement of that chart, the arrow doesn't mean that it happens right at the midpoint. It may, we don't know where it's going to happen. It may move down toward the end. It may come back toward the We don't know. But you, it's a one-dimensional chart. Where are you going to put it? You've got to put it somewhere. So we put it kind of looked like it was in the middle. They say it's a three-quarter three rapture. No, it's not. That would, it would be setting a date. I mean, that would be so obvious. Why would you do that? That would be stupid. We believe the rapture will occur sometime after the midpoint, after God has allowed Antichrist's persecution to be as its intense as it's going to be. And at some point, God will come and deliver the righteous and begin the pouring out of his undiluted wrath called the wrath of God in what is called the eschatological day of the Lord. That one 
big one, that one that you will probably not want to be a part of. That, I believe, is how you need to understand this critical period. Now, the weakness. What is the weakness of the pre-wrath position? In my view, the weakness is the idea that the time is cut short. That is based on Matthew 24 when he says that those days will be collabo, amputated. People say, well, now, wait a minute. God in Matthew, in the book of Daniel says it's going to be three and a half years. Now, you come up in the New Testament, all of a sudden you start saying, hey, he cut something short. That's a contradiction in Scripture. I thought you said you didn't have any contradiction in your system. I said, okay, now, wait a minute. It does say he cut it short. There's no doubt about that. He said those days will be cut short. So the question is, what does he mean? Now, in the book of Daniel, the 70th week was never longer than seven years and 75 days. Because it was 70 weeks and the one last week, seven years. It was seven years. It was never, it was never 90 weeks cut to 70 weeks. At least the text never tells us anything like that. So if it was going to be 70 weeks, 490 years from day one, and then Jesus comes along and says he cut it short, then it's got to be cut shorter than the 490. It doesn't make any sense. If you cut something short, it's got to be shorter than it originally was. Now, I'm, I'm open to the idea that it was longer than that if you can show me in the text. If somebody can open the Bible and show me that the the 490 years was longer than 490. If you can show me that, I'll go with it. But if you won't, because it's not, it was seven years and 75 days. That's as long as it was ever intended to be. It was never going to be longer than that. Therefore, if it's cut short, it's got to be shorter than seven years, 375 days. Seven years and 75 days. Or the text makes no sense. Now, is there any warrant for God cutting something short? There's ample, substantial evidence in the Old Testament God can, in fact, cut something short that he said was going to run longer. And each time he did it, it was always an act of mercy. And what is cut short is the persecution, not the amount of time of the reign of Antichrist, but the object of his persecution is going to receive mercy from God, lest no man would be delivered physically delivered because of the intense persecution of Satan against the elect of God. My system is perfect. You know, that's the boldest, arrogant, most pompous statement I've heard in my life. Yeah. Because I believe it. Doesn't mean it's true. Just means I believe it. Because I worked out all the kinks. Now, do I know everything? No. Do I have all the answers? No. But I just know this, the day of the Lord is the wrath of God, and the day of the Lord begins after the sixth seal. And the, day, the eschatological day of the Lord, according to Joel chapter 2, follows the sun going dark, the moon falling, stars not shining. And in the book of Revelation, Matthew 24, the only place that happens is after the intense persecution has begun, and it is cut short.
Please show me anybody in the scripture where the eschatological day of the Lord includes, includes God killing the righteous. Just show me. Anybody. Because I'm open to learn. I'm open to suggestions. I am willing to know.